Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 49 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're discussing Four Christmases, the 2008, I don't know, comedy, I guess? Though There's a lot of downer parts of this movie as well. Maybe dark comedy? Dark comedy, dramedy, maybe? Yeah, a dr- dramedy. A, 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 I'll go with dramedy. A Christmas dramedy, as it were. Red flag morning. Based on a story by Matt R. Allen and Caleb Wilson. Screenplay by... Take a deep breath, Michael. Matt R. Allen, Caleb Wilson, John Lucas, and Scott Moore. This is like uh, the, this last month of movies. We have had so many committees. <laughs> this movie is not a great Christmas movie to me. I have spoilers. But I think it was actually kind of an interesting movie as a movie. I, I think it's discussing some interesting relationship themes and some really relatable family themes and stuff that's relatable at Christmas time. But really, kind of a downer. Yeah. I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if each one of these right took a different section of the movie and like wrote a different family, each family, because they all had such different quirks and issues and things that needed to be, you know, kind of handled, I guess I want to say. But it was directed by Seth Gordon and released November 26, 2008. So that was right at the right time. So that's good. Budget of 80 million and a box office haul of 163.7 million, which I'm going to say they are very much benefiting from the great timing, like right after Thanksgiving is right on. And, you know, in 2008, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon are still money in the bank. I mean, I think Reese Witherspoon is still money in the bank and Vince Vaughn is kind of having, I saw it was called a uh, Vaughnissance uh, I I saw recently. I don't know. Is it good or bad when they make your name like a comeback name? Well, I think because, you know, he, for whatever reason, politics and otherwise, kind of not too long, like pretty much right after this movie comes out, kind of falls off like the face of the earth and then doesn't have really anything going on for for several years i think reese is just she's always she i think she's she's kind of like julia roberts right she was the next generation's julia roberts i think very much america's sweetheart people always want to see her she could take off as long as she wants and she kind of always comes back well and she does a lot of other things behind the scenes too i mean she's yes. running all kinds of things she's got you know big little lies and all that kind of good stuff over there on hbo and she's she's like constantly has her toe in something she's got her own production and additionally she's like has like a book club and like she's just she's always super busy so definite hit really panned at the box office which i think probably affected vince more negatively than it affected her the than than reese witherspoon but had you seen this movie before let's start there i I actually had not i had seen snippets of this movie i knew a bunch of the clips from this movie but i hadn't seen the whole thing start to finish i had not seen this one before i'm going to give our listeners the one sentence plot summary a couple struggles to visit all four of their divorced parents on christmas i would say that that's totally accurate but also kind of like there's they're missing a lot of nuance in that yeah i think it's a couple struggles with their relationship issues while trying to visit all of their divorced parents on christmas yes guiltily <laughs> right i mean but that's what this movie is about this is this is about a couple who met and they were to each other one thing years have gone by now and now they are different people or they're not different people and that's the problem you know i think the idea is that brad is exactly who he was three years ago and reese witherspoon as kate is has has grown and changed and wants different things and maybe they're not so compatible now this movie actually disappointed me most because the ending was so unearned and again it's supposed to be a comedy so i think they had to they probably felt like they needed to have that happy ending it just felt very like wrap it up like we've got to be done like we don't have any more like filming days right we're at 90 minutes we you know actually i think this movie comes in at 128 i don't even know this movie is an hour and a half just just believe us when we say brad has changed
Einstein has, you know, completely reversed his position on the most important issues that an adult can face, marriage and children. You know, even though it goes against everything that we've seen about him and his upbringing, he now feels differently and uh, they're going to live happily ever after. I think the strongest part of this entire movie is actually the setup. I was drawn in with this clever, fictitious, we do charity work and that's why we're not with our families at Christmas, but we really go on vacation. That was like my most favorite part of the entire movie. It's so funny to me, I guess because we're all getting ready for Christmas. Some part of me is like, I should say I got called away to like Zimbabwe and go like sit on a beach somewhere because this just feels so, I don't know how we're all feeling, that that anxiousness, that stress and like, wow, if you really could just step out, like what an amazing thing. And if you could step out with this lie that you're really going to do this wonderful charity work, like all the better. Yeah, I mean, you got to appreciate the commitment to the bit. I, he learns how to say Merry Christmas yes. in uh, in the foreign language kind of thing. And it's kind of genius. What did you think of this concept that he's having? Uh, they're having this uh, conversation with uh, Kevin from The Office and uh, that other guy, Brian Baumgartner, is, is the actor. Uh, you know, early on in the movie and he's talking about Brad says this line that we later hear his father say, you can't spill families without lies. And this idea that there's no guilt on their part, you know, that they should be entitled to take a vacation during their vacation time and not have to deal with their families is that fair is this concept of families without lies fair i mean we've seen plenty of these christmas movies that are telling us that families are maybe the most stressful part of the christmas season for so many people but is this going too far or or are we all secretly you know hoping brad and kate do get to go on this vacation and not have to deal with their families i mean i think it goes back to what we have spoken about in much of these movies about how you present yourself to your families. I'm going to call that the lie. And so they present themselves as this charitable, you know, uh, just big hearted couple who like does things for others when really they're very, you know, just in with themselves. Like I, I really enjoyed like the stranger in the bar whole scene that that very sexy play back and forth and everything they were doing. That, like, that was really all funny and me, cool. FYI. Yeah, it was. And it was very like it reminded me actually of modern family because they do that all the time with Claire and Phil and it's so like when they do that I forget his, I'm trying to remember his name his last name is Bixby when he like does Dun- Clyde Dunphy. Clyde I mean, uh, Bixby no that's uh, his fake oh, name oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah yeah so Clyde Bixby and all that it's, it's all very funny to me but they're very into themselves like they don't and and in a fascinating way that's definitely revealed throughout the movie that as into themselves as they are they actually don't know each other very well that part was kind of the big reveal for me throughout the movie is every time we get like to a certain point and be like how did they not know that about each other like they've been together three years but somehow they had never really talked to each other so i guess for me like the whole thing worked i i don't know about lies i don't know i think that that makes it sound way bigger and scarier and sadder than really just the idea that like we all show up and have a version of ourselves for our family and maybe even a version of ourselves for i think in this couple for like within their couplehood here like they have a version of themselves to each other that they don't talk about who they actually were. How do, what do you feel like? Is it all lies? Is it all terrible? Well, I, I mean, I want to I want to stay with that because I like your phrasing the the version of themselves because uh, you know Seth Gordon in, in talking about this movie and doing press for this movie he went on and we get this rarely the director of the movie talking about what he sees as the uh, movie theme he said that the subject is the difficulty all people have of reconciling who they are and the person they're supposed to be which is why it's so hard to spend Christmas with one's family and why it can engender uneasiness naturally. Uh, Gordon goes on to say he felt Christmas was an amazing playground for comedy. You know, we present ourselves as Brad, but our name is really Orlando because our parents named us where we were conceived. <laughs> you know, that's so that's I, I mean, I understand why he keeps that from her. But you're also together with this woman for three years and you haven't told her. I understand why she is like all this like immediately. I have no idea who you are. I mean, it seems like that to me. But I mean, but at the same time, this couple has a very packaged version of who they want to be for the other person and who they are as a couple. You know, the way that they do everything, the only reason why stuff starts getting peeled back is really because their flight gets canceled and they're on the news. Well, they're exposed. I mean, they're literally exposed. I mean, but I think this is the fatal flaw with this couple is there is a ceiling on how far this couple can progress, how far Brad and Kate can progress because they are not presenting authentic versions of, of versions of themselves. You, you can present who you want to be to the outside world all you 
you want. You can present who you want to be to your family who you see occasionally or who you keep at an arm's distance all you want. But if you're going to go the the long distance with with a person and you're going to spend all of your time with that person, you can't really project a version of yourself that doesn't last in the long run. You have to eventually say, my name is Orlando. That doesn't work in the long run. You can't be 15 years and the person finds your birth certificate and is who who the F is Orlando. I, I guess I guess the, that breaking point, though, would be like getting engaged or marriage is when you would really like feel like if you got to that point, you have to have said all these things. But since they're just dating, I guess, you know, there's a big part of me that says, like, I don't know at what point they have to say what, especially some of the things they choose to keep to themselves. The Orlando thing is funny. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I, you know, I, do you know people who have, who've been named after like cities and or like important landmarks for their families or anything? I feel like I've heard this trope of people naming their kids after conception places. I feel like it was an SNL bid or some something, you know, was, you know, do you know why you know, you're named like backseat or something like that? You know, oh, so I, I feel like I've heard it so often that it feels like a real thing to me. But I don't know if I actually ever met someone in real life person who had experienced this or had had this done to them have you i mean i know people who have been named after like important places to their family i don't know that they've ever been so bold as to say this is where they've been conceived i i feel like they've they've just been like that's just like a has it holds good memories for us or something like that they've said for sure i know a lot of brian's there's a um there's a town here called brian that's where college station is that's a and M. I know a lot of aggies who name their kids brian um because they're so dedicated um to their to their school so stuff like that for sure i've heard are the aggies the ones that go gig them yep (laughs) i'm a longhorn so i'm not gonna say anything so but but they're they're definitely ones that i know like do that all the time now whether that child was conceived there or not i do not know but it is some sort of namesake feel for the for that family so it's funny that all of the kids are named like that i mean that like cracked me up we should get into this whole like each family because i think that they did a good job of making each family a very distinct issue that they're dealing with sort of within this family and then there is this like overarching plot going on with the couple i i was impressed by the caliber of the family that they had here that the actors that and uh, that they pulled in let's start right at the beginning let's start robert duvall playing kind of against type here uh is brad's dad howard howard mcvee what do you think of scumbum uh robert uh robert duvall does does this work for you are you are do you know this family i know this family i, I yeah where i, I live who are and, totally this rough housing yeah. like to some like i absolutely know the punching and the rolling around on the floor yeah i have cousins who do that yeah this all felt very 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 familiar to me does the dad in general feel bad to me no i mean i kind of got it like obviously this is a movie version of this dad but i do understand the dad who is sort of more country more Mm -hmm. simple doesn't want all the newfangled you know electrical devices what have you they don't want all that kind of stuff i have to say i gasped at what was going on i mean as soon as they started dealing with that satellite dish i was like that roof is not going to hold this like this is all going badly you know i think it worked as like the family he came from and why he's embarrassed why he doesn't want to show this girl who he thinks is like this polished sophisticated woman doesn't want to show this past to her so that didn't bother me so much uh, or you know or like the you know the mma obsessed you know <laughs> brothers though i like that she brings up the obvious point you're a giant like you 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 stand over these guys why do you let them bully you which is a fair point it doesn't have to do with size though it has to do with that personality type where yeah. like the other two are just they're they're like literally dogs with a bone like they are not gonna stop they're just not gonna stop and at some point I'm definitely the type of person at some point where I'm like, I'm done. Like, stop, stop touching me. Stop doing everything. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to horse around like that anymore. And I feel like for him, he, again, he's trying to be a certain version of a guy who's like, I don't want to put my hands on somebody else. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. So I get it just because he's taller than them. I don't, I don't really think, I think that's like a funny way of sort of dismissing the idea that like, but he doesn't want to roll around on the ground, you know, like, or he doesn't want to punch someone out to the point where they can't get up. 
I, I was wondering a little bit more about whether or not Brad was being a little classist. This idea that I think there's, I think he has this idea. He's a lawyer. He's he's done well for himself. He's wealthy, uh, and this ties into the whole thing about the spending caps portion of this, which also yeah. felt very relatable. I, and I want to talk about that for sure because I think that's so important to this group and and the tone deafness of that. And and there's this concept where I, I don't Kate doesn't really give off this vibe, but Brad certainly gives off this vibe of. I don't need to do fisticuffs with you ruffians because I'm better than you otherwise in life. You are the unwashed masses and I'm better than you. And and I think that hits home in the taboo scene where, uh, you know, John Favreau's Denver and, and Katie Mixon as Susan, you know, are so in sync as they devour wings, you know, you know bones and all and, and, you know, are all PDA and all over each other, but also extremely connected and in sync with each other other I, I think it's an interesting commentary on how we look at our families and from whence we came about and and if at some point we start to think we're a little bit better than them let's get into the spending cap because i found that extremely relatable especially at families especially at, at the holiday times and when it comes to gift giving and spending i i always think of the office episode where michael scott wants to be beloved so it's a 20 dollar uh you know yankee christmas that they're doing and he goes out and buys like a 500 dollar ipod because he just wants people to like him and be impressed because he got a bonus it defeats it. it makes everyone else feel bad and that's the point right it makes everyone else feel bad how do you handle this situation if, if you're in this room uh, at the mcvee house i mean i thought that the kate character reese witherspoon i mean i i would have been her i would have been the person being like how did i not know this like how did we send these things to your family like how did you not realize that there was a spending cap i thought that the rest of the group there i mean we have tim mcgraw who's who's amazing in this and john favreau but also um katie mixon yeah that's her name mixon yeah yeah so she is she's the wife i know her from american housewife and this would actually be very much her character in american housewife like she's very like they have to be thoughtful about money and spending and they live in a in a town that's that's much more wealthy and so she she was having all those vibes for me and her sincere face when she's like we have like a spending cap and it was like very it was very genuine and it made me be like you know as much as anyone can look at this group and sort of be like well you know maybe maybe they're doing some things that you know we wouldn't do i wouldn't like wrestle all over the floor and stuff but at the same time I think they got it right about like the stuff that they were giving one another wasn't supposed to be about the money. Like it was supposed to be a genuine gesture to, to one another about things that they were going to buy. I do know families who do this. I do. I know families who do like practical joke type gifts as their gifts to one another. And that's how they kind of show their love to each other. And it's, it's, it's this joking kind of thing that they do. Nobody does real presents at all. And I know people who have married into those families and didn't really know that and gave a real present. And then it was sort of like, what are you doing? You're kind of wrecking the joke kind of thing. All of this, I think, was it was a really great like spotlight put on there's different ways to celebrate. And, and it's not like better or worse. It's just like this is the way that this family does it. You're right about the elitist portion uh, portion that Brad obviously wants to present himself completely differently at this point. Right, because he doesn't back down from it, though. Like, you know, Kate is sheepish about it and, and, and I think is properly humbled by the fact that she didn't notice and, and embarrassed. I think rightfully so. Brad kind of doubles down on it. Who doesn't want an Xbox? Dude, you can't walk into someone else's house and give their kid an Xbox without at least giving a heads up to the parents that you're doing that. That's a that's a major party foul, you know, and again, this is this is all very relatable. These are all very real things that I think a lot of families deal with across the country. I don't know about the world, but at least across the country and is definitely something that I know a bit about and having been on both of these i've done the party foul not an xbox but i've walked into a situation not realizing the the vibe and i have felt horrible about it and i've also been on the other end where there were expectations and that someone went above and beyond and exceeded them and it's kind of like what are what are you doing i'm very put off by brad i don't like this character i don't like him as a person Everything about him turns me off. He has learned at his father's knee to embrace this negative aspect of life, this idea of be shallow and, you know, treat people like objects, and then you'll always be dominant over them. This idea, the idea that he learned at his father, you know, you know, you can't spell families without lies. And, you know, I don't want to speak ill of your mother, but she's like a, like a two-bit whore kind of thing. All mm. of that. 
Like, okay, the apple has not fallen far from the tree, but Brad is a is a jerk to Kate, and he is not a good family member to his family. He treats them all like he is above them, and he treats her like she is not an equal or a partner in their relationship. I don't like him. I don't like the character. I, yeah, I was not sad when he fell off the roof. <laughs> I gasped the, that entire, that was very Home Alone-esque when very. the wire pulls off of the, like all around the entire house and is like ripping up the paneling. I was like, oh my God. Like I was just gasping. I guessed when she bonks the baby's head on the cabinet. I literally oh, guessed. I went, because <gasps> the, the Foley work on it was so good. It was yeah. like, oh, my God, that she's caved that baby's skull in, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. So let's move over to Brad's mom's side of the family, because even though it goes like every other one, let's kind of take his whole family in one. Uh, for sure. What do you think of old Sissy Spacek and uh, as Sissy Spacek, the actress and Paula, mom shacking up with Brad's former best friend? That whole part was the whole thing that I like was like floored. I was like, no. I mean, you can see why Brad thinks marriage is kind of a joke. I mean, he's he's so betrayed by this friendship turned like stepdad. Like it's so, oh my God, it's so cringy. And the entire like sitting there playing that taboo game and like them being so bad at it, Brad and Kate being just like, they cannot say anything to each other where they, they can communicate. But then at the same time you have, you know, Denver and Susan like kicking butt because they totally like get each other. They can just vibe off like one word, just showing them like how much they don't know each other at all. And then you kind of do get more of a glimpse into like why Brad is the way he is about marriage and family and feeling betrayed by his family yes and, and i get it it's gross this is your best friend he i mean how many years younger i i can't imagine you know my mom you know sleeping with and then marrying like my former best friend kind of thing but at the same time though too is there you know she's happy you know and do at what age do we stop do we care more about the fact that our our parents are happy when whatever their situation is? It doesn't sound like she had a great situation with uh, good old uh, Bobby D, uh, you know, great. yelling about his uh, no, not having a satellite dish. Um, you know, she's found in Daryl. Yes, he's young, but, you know, she's she's found someone who makes her happy. Yeah, but it's icky. I mean, I could not for sit sure. there with my with my mom and her like, you know, lover being all like, your mother is very sexual like oh my of god course, of course i'd be and, dying and, uh, very much so an exaggerator but it does bring up this idea of blended families i feel like we just talked about blended families in another movie recently all of a sudden you find yourself and there's multiple moms and dads um as, you know coming together for the reason but just sexuality i want to talk about sexuality with my parents like Gross. No, it's like when you get like you get into like meet the fuckers, right? With yes, uh, with Dustin like Hoffman, exactly. You know, like yeah, fajitas. I want fajitas. You know, and having a sex therapist for a mother and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the super icky kind of thing. But yeah, besides that, I feel like Brad is the kind of person though that is going to be hostile to anyone that his mother is with. You do? I do. I took it like he wouldn't care. It was just that this uh, is... I, I mean, I didn't think he was that invested in the whole thing. It was just more like, I just can't deal with this. My friend and my mom, and I certainly can't deal with them talking about their sex life and all that stuff. Like, I just felt like he just kept them at arm's length. And I don't think he would have a problem with other people necessarily, but he would just... He wouldn't think about them, you know, like at all. That might be. Maybe that Maybe that is the, the actual vibe. I mean, he does defend the, his mom to his dad it, when... At their house, right? I mean, when he, when the dad says, I don't want to speak ill of your mother and then speaks ill of her, you know, he actually comes to her defense and says, like, you disappeared. Like, you know, what was she supposed to do kind of thing? So I guess he, you know, when he does bother to uh, invest himself in family matters, I guess, I guess he did kind of come out for his mom. I don't know. I guess I just don't like him. And so it's, col- it's, 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 <laughs> it's coloring all of my kind of views of him. But I think, I think for me, this scene was best because of the, and I hit on this a little bit before, was the couple dynamic it's showing how in sync susan and denver were playing taboo i think highlighted what we had already started to see the the phrase at the seam of the relationship and and the disconnect was the word that i kept coming up with in my head of brad and kate the the taboo is just a, a glaring metaphor for it 
Um, but then you also have the conversation in the car that comes up after this about changing rules and the baby and not wanting babies. And, you know, I'm exactly like I was three years ago. I've always told you I didn't want a kid and I haven't changed. And now she wants to change and she's changing rules. That whole conversation and just their disconnect that the taboo game shows that they can't even get some basic things. And he ends up mansplaining how to describe words to her kind of thing. Oh, and just the so obvious judgment that he had, like when she was trying to describe, you know, her vacation and all this stuff she and he was like you did what like it was so judgy and dismissive and yeah he just doesn't treat her well uh he calls her an unfit mother when she's at like that she would be an unfit mother when they're at her mom's house you know in the in-between scene yeah he's just so weird. Uh, ladies, if you see Brad, run away. Uh, <laughs> run away. Let's get into Kate's family because we have Kate's mom who this whole portion was so unexpected for me. Like this cougar situation. Cougar I, I was not expecting this as as being her mom. And then the entire portion with the nativity and, and going up on stage and having this whole religious aspect to this family because they were like super sexual and then super religious. And it was all like mixing together in the, the craziest of ways. Yeah, unexpected and very funny. I, I think just Mary Steenburgen, who I, I have like this very chaste view of Mary Steenburgen, and Me I don't know too. why. I don't know why because I think she, I actually think she plays sa- a sassy lady in a lot of her movies, or you know, like a glint in her eyes. But seeing Carol Kane being part of the Cougar Den, it all made me laugh very, very much. And the way they were all kind of hugging on him and like treating him like a slab of meat kind of thing, <laughs> like openly. And and she because like Reese warns him, like right, Kate warns him, you know. She he refers to it as the Cougar Den. The whole thing was very funny to me. And that Dwight Yoakam, of all people, is Pastor Phil. And was dating the mom. And this was all going to be very, like, just getting to that, like, religious side where you're like, should someone tell her? Like, you know she's giving money to this church. And each family was so distinct and so wild and definitely had, like, depth and layers to, like, the stuff that was going on with them. I was impressed, like I said, that each one was so different because in reality, I don't I don't really think it's like that. I think that most of us end up being like, God, families are so universal. I don't think I spend as much time being like, wow, this family is like super different from this one, from this one, from this one. Like, but this one definitely was like it was like all four was def- very different. Are you invested in this movie as they're kind of laying the tracks as Kate is exploring this idea of having kids right she she's definitely you're definitely getting the the vibe of it when she's watching susan make the bean dip casserole thing and she's holding the baby clearly not someone used to holding a baby and now she's at her mother's house and she takes her sister Kristen chenoweth right we got another chenoweth uh christmas movie here but she takes the pregnancy test in the bathroom and then she winds up in the the house with little kids and there's the whole beat down scene the pregnancy test was bizarre, Mike. I don't know anybody who would get a, bre- a pregnancy test, have someone else's stuff, and then just take it randomly. It was all weird. I was like, what is this? They should have had a reason why she had to like run to a CVS or something. Have her have to go run to go get something. I don't care what. Say something random and take it there. Take it like in the CVS bathroom or whatever. I know we have to get to the to the point of the kid running away with it. Like I get all that stuff, but it was so far-fetched that she would ever dig in someone's bag and then take it because the person's going to know you took the test. This is not one of those things where it's like, oh, I have 7,000 pregnancy tests sitting around in my bathroom. It's not like that. So, I mean, she's trying to be all secretive, but it's like purposely not. I don't know. It's very odd. Uh, where it's just you and me and our listeners. Can I give you a little confession? Sure. I've taken a pregnancy test before. Why? I, I was curious. No, I, I just wanted to pee on a stick and see what would happen. I was, you know, it was like one of those things. You what if such it, a little weirdo. What if I peed on it and it came up I was pregnant? Like, I feel like that would upend the entire market about the validity of pregnancy tests, right? I don't know. Do you feel like pregnancy tests are not valid? No, obviously, I think they do. But, you know, this was at the time when I was, you know, we were we were trying to have a kid and it wasn't happening very fast. And I was bored. It was late. I was, I was sleep deprived. I was working a lot. And it was there. And I, I, I kind of Reese Witherspooned it. You know, it was in the bathroom. I was like, I wonder what happened. Yeah, I took it. I took the Did old. you get found out? 
No, we had no? a lot. We had, no, we had a lot of pregnancies just laying around. No one was keeping an inventory on them. I was buying them mm. anyway. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, I I I, I, I dipped one uh, one time. I was not pregnant, um, so it came well, up negative. Good for you. I'm I'm glad. What would you have done though if you had been? I, I think I probably would have sold my story for a lot of money. I feel like I would have been pretty rich if I oh, uh, smart, smart. I, I could have rolled that into something, you know. <laughs> Maybe, maybe make an appointment for a doctor. Maybe we have a, 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 a an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Jr. situation. I think they did a good job of continuously playing out the metaphor. I mean, having her have to go play Virgin Mary and and have Brad be such a terrible dad and be yeah. like like trying to make the whole show out of himself. Made successfully did it. I mean, turned the crowd, her hometown, her family, Mm -hmm. kind of turning against her by belittling her. Like he literally climbed over her and stood on her back. He's a piece of garbage, this guy. (laughs) And, And this is the scene where he comes up and calls her an unfit mother. You know, in front of an entire audience of of her family and friends and her congregation. Well, he was calling Mary an unfit mother, but yes. No, he was. Well, yes, but she doesn't know how to swaddle, so she he was very specifically <laughs> telling his girlfriend she was yes. an unfit mother. Yeah. Yes, but it was that. Oh my god! Again, though, like you have to kind of suspend disbelief there and just be like, okay, sure, they ended up being Mary and Joseph in this play and the whole thing. Like, I mean, it was all so silly and absurd. And then we have the oddest maybe casting of this movie, John Voight, as his as her very quiet father. Uh, this again, this whole scene disarmed me because her mom and Dwight Yoakam and you know they're all and, and Kristen Chenoweth and and her very silent husband. Jim, I feel like is his name, maybe. Yeah, they're all kind of gathered there, all kind of having Christmas together. This was as different a vibe of a family as you could get from Brad's family, I felt like at the end. And and the idea that John Voigt was pretty upfront about the fact that he had been a bad husband. And, you know, things work out years later when you're allowed to kind of figure out where you're supposed to be and with whom you're supposed to be. What, what did you think of this? Because this is the this is the final family of the night, and this is where the whole movie wraps. Uh, what was your take on the John Voight as dad situation uh, part of the movie? I didn't expect it. I didn't expect them to actually be able to be so functional and be together and have it seem okay. It, it gave me hope as being the last family. It kind of gave you like kind of leaving you on a high note. Like you can all get together and it and it can have you can have had this crummy road behind you and still be together and be okay at the end of the day. So I think that was like on a that was good to leave us all on a high note in that regard. Yeah, same for me. Same for me. And and I think it's a message I I mean, because, again, Brad goes back to his father's house and the dad is like giving him attaboys. It's the first time he's really nice to him is when he's, you know, kicked her to the curb and no one's going to tie you down and the, you know, families and lies and all that kind of stuff. And again, what a what a horrible message, you know, and you see where Brad's coming from. Again, I, I feel like Brad's turnaround is completely unearned here, but I like the message of what her family was showing us that. You can, you can have this blended family. You can all kind of get together and be functional when you're just kind of being your real selves. And just kind of own your mistakes and own the past and say like, yeah, stuff happened. I was a bad dad or whatever. I was going to ask you, you know, like you're kind of saying Brad's Orlando thing. Do you think that anything in Reese's past, like, do you think that she had to admit to any of that stuff? Or was it all just like, that was just when she was a kid and whatever. She, she either physically looks different now, or they were, they were poking at her sexuality and her experimentation and all this kind of stuff. Like, do you think she owed him more explanation about any of that stuff since he seemed to not know anything? No. One, she truly genuinely didn't seem to have put it together. Uh, her, or the role she played in her, right. So for one, what, what would she have confessed? I had a friend, like as far as she, like she honestly truly was naive as to what that was actually all about. It's apples and oranges. I think, I think what he is keeping from her is literally about his identity. What she is keeping from him is that she had a weight problem, that she maybe had an unexpected or or unnoticed lesbian experience. 
is it fair for him to be tit for tat with her? First of all, I don't know why we have to talk about everyone's weight all the time. Like that all seems very, I don't know, just shallow and strange and antiquated. Like we've all progressed past the point of having to look at someone and be like, you're this weight. Now you're that weight. And last time I saw you, you were this weight. Like it just seems like why are you saying that out loud? <laughs> like, what a weird comment. It's not admitting to something when you say, like, I was a different weight at a different point in my life. Like, is that like a thing? Like, you have to, quote, admit to that? You know, I don't know. That seems weird. I was very heavy when I entered high school. I was actually pretty, I, I was pretty thin and athletic when I left high school. I don't feel like either of those are like things that are confessions. I think it's just part of kind of growing up and changing. I found that whole scene to be more playing on the cougar aspect, the idea that all of these women, married or not, whether their husbands are in the room or not, were trying to bed Brad or mm-hmm. or or more like take him or capture him from Kate. So they were trying to like embarrass her, right? Right, putting her seem- right, diminishing her as to make okay. themselves more uh, sexually viable to him. That mm-hmm. was what that seemed to be more to me. Versus, I think at Orlando's house with his dad i felt was more like he is ashamed of us and here are things that we you probably don't know about this guy you know when you just said that it just popped into my brain the idea that like how did he not bother to tell her his name knowing his father and his brothers are going to call him that name when you're driving up there even if i made it all the way to the driveway i would absolutely look at the person who i was taking in there and say listen I know this has never come up before, and I've gone by Brad for 20 years now, but my family calls me Orlando. You're going to hear them say that, and I just don't want you to be like taken off guard when they call me that. Why are you being so obtuse that they're all going to call you that? That's the only thing they're going to call you. So right. that part was silly. Right. They all go by Dallas and Denver. They're not going by John and, and Michael. Regardless, you know what they're going to call you. Right. He knows all. Of, he knows everything that's going to happen when he steps in that house. Yes. So why doesn't he do anything? Also, why does he think it's okay to go bring an Xbox? You know what your family is like. Or a satellite dish. You know your father is cantankerous. That he, When he said, how much is this going to cost me? Of course. Of course he said that. That's what every dad who is in the Robert Duvall dad mode here is going to say. You gave me a present that I have to pay for? Thanks. You know, all of that. That was all super predictable. And we just literally met these people. You are there. You are the son in this. He's just checked out, huh? He's he's just selfish. He's just not even considering it. To say nothing of the fact that he's bringing his girlfriend into the situation, how uncomfortable for her to have to be. It's one thing that he has to go through it but he he he's their family he's the one really by blood she's coming along with and giving no heads up like she at least tells him this is the cougar den like she right she gives a warning and you know what she's exactly right and that's exactly how they proceed to act and behave he gives no such warning at all that's what would make me crazy it's just like the lack of prep for me if i was walking into that i'd be like oh my god like how did you just let me embarrass myself and not even know what they're gonna call you (laughs) like super embarrassing i mean for me i I think relationships are very much have to be partnerships if they're going to work. And Brad is not a partner here. Brad is just a guy who wants to get to Fiji. You know, Reese probably looks really good in a bathing suit. So he'd like to go to Fiji with her. And that's all. I think that's as far literally as he's going. He is someone he is like the definition of arrested development. When he says I am exactly who I've always been, I fully believe that. I think Brad is exactly who Brad has always been. And time may march on for the rest of us, but his emotional development has has not moved at all. You know, I know you said that looks good in a bikini, but also she plays his reindeer games. Like she also is fine with not being around her family, which I I don't know. How unusual do you think it is to have two people in a relationship where they don't have any extended family sort of draw that they need to have to deal with their extended family. Like, do you think that that's common or no? Or not? I don't. No, I think it, I think it's much more common that it's one is estranged and one is because that kind of opposites do tend to attract people who have no family. I think tend to probably be drawn to people who are very into family because for whatever reason that they don't have a family, they they find that comfort and love in the person who is about family. That attraction makes a lot of sense to me. 
Two people who don't – again, th- th- this is my overarching theme though. Uh, two people who are not invested in family in any way, shape, or form to the point where they lie elaborately to get away from them right. are two people who are not in a relationship together for the long haul. They are, this is just a way station for both of them. Yes, I agree with you. That's but also, they're not married or anything. I mean, this they're just dating. So for three I guess years. to that. For three yeah. years, exclusively. I mean, they don't say exclusively, but we, we I think we're they very seem much. They live together. So. Very much get the impression that they are an exclusive relationship for three years. So, yes, they're not married, but. Okay, at some point there's some sharing of lives. No, maybe maybe I am just an old man. You know, <laughs> I'm just wondering if I'm wondering if they've created this elaborate, you know, going back to sort of the 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 sex with a stranger in the bar kind of thing. Like maybe they spent so much time creating those kind of fantasy fake things and then lying to their families and going on their vacations and stuff like that. Whether there's almost no room for who they really are because they're they invest a lot of time and energy into making up these situations when would you have that conversation about what your real name is if you're playing strangers in a bar like you know what i mean which they always seem to be playing some sort of game with one another that kind of goes back to what seth gordon the director says about what the movie's theme is this idea of having to reconcile who you actually are versus the person you're supposed to be and that's the problem with going in front of your family because your family is never going to cover for you your family is always going to put a big old x-ray spotlight (laughs) on who you are not who you want to be or who you're projecting they're going to be the first people would be like she was overweight before right (laughs) oh my god his name's orlando (laughs) super funny all right mike are you ready to get into is this a christmas movie for sure for sure all right well i'm gonna say it is a christmas movie it absolutely has all the elements of visiting your family on christmas all the all the various situations you might encounter there was a lot of variety here in the different families and and there was hope at the end that you know you can figure it out you can make it work and so i think for all those reasons it's definitely a christmas movie how about you yeah, no, this is definitely a Christmas movie. It is hitting on themes that we have seen in other movies, a bunch of movies. This idea of family is family is hard. Family at Christmas time is even harder. Everything is ramped up. Anxiety and stress is all elevated. This always hits harder. It is always more difficult to go home when you have a difficult family at Christmas time versus if you're just going, you know, over the summer and and being comfortable in your own skin and being honest with who you are and projecting who you are and who your family thinks you are, how whether they cover your back or they sell you out to, so they can sleep with your boyfriend. There, there's a lot of Christmas themes here. This movie is just, I mean, it it definitely made me laugh. I, I like this movie overall. It made me laugh in certain parts. I definitely, I definitely laughed a bunch. But overall, I was left very joyless feeling. And that's the opposite of what I want from, from a Christmas movie. But we've learned that Christmas comes with, with sadness and grief and all that stuff. So we're only in the, is it a Christmas movie part? So we're not in Jingle Bells. So if it is a Christmas movie, it's okay that it has joyless moments because I have seen more this year than any other year, even 2020, which we were far into the pandemic and to that point, I, I've seen more people put out messages on Facebook about how with the joy and excitement of Christmas comes the depression and the loneliness and the sadness. I've seen more of that this year than any other year. I'm actually not separating. I'm not saying that Christmas needs to always be happy, happy, happy. Like Christmas also comes with all this other stuff. And so it's still a Christmas movie when it doesn't have joy. Let me clarify my point. It, it is. I, I think it is not a good Christmas movie because it's telling us feel joy at the end of this movie they worked it out and it is empty calories of the worst kind that's the problem i would have i would have liked this movie as a movie i would have liked this movie much more as a christmas movie if they had not gotten together if they had stayed broken up and realized hey you know what people change and they grow apart and not everyone should be together that feels much better and i'm totally ha- i'm totally fine with uh, a christmas movie being sad fine with that this movie is telling me though at the end i'm supposed to be happy that this is a happy ending and it feels or it feels wrong and unearned so that's why i think it's a bad christmas movie in the end but a christmas movie but a christmas movie undeniably a christmas movie i think this is undeniably a christmas movie for sure okay all right you ready for some fast facts please 
Well, it's not going to surprise you, Mike, that many of the film's key scenes were actually improvised. I think we get that a lot on these committee movies, don't we? Yeah, I think so. And especially when you're dealing with someone like a Vince Vaughn, who I think has a reputation for being kind of a an improviser and just a, a roll with it kind of comedian. Adam Shankman, does that ring, ring a bell to you at all? I don't think so. Should it? Uh, well, if you watch So You Think You Can Dance, it might. He was one of the core judges on So You Think You Can Dance for years. He was a choreographer and a dancer and did a bunch of other things. Uh, why am I talking about Adam Shankman? He was actually originally going to direct this movie. Fascinating. I, yeah, it, it seems very much outside of his wheelhouse. There are no dance sequences in this movie, guys. Not one. There's no choreography in this movie. So there should be, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> that would have been fun. I'm trying to yeah. think like that would have been wacky. A little conga line coming out of the house is the, oh, is the satellite dish Or you know apart. what? It would have been funny if the nativity scene, a whole Christmas story broke out into some sort of dance number. That that would have felt right. Some popping and locking. That's where I learned. I learned popping and locking from So You Think You Could Dance. So Wow. I've got the phrase, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the film's executive producers is Peter Billingsley, who, if you remember, Mike, stars at, as Ralphie in the 1983 film A Christmas Story. And he's also the airline ticket agent. How crazy is that? I love that he's like bopping his face into different movies like this. I love that. And it turns out, uh, just to add on to your fast fact, it turns out that him, Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, I think a lot of people know John Favreau and Vince Vaughn are friends in, in real life. They've, you know, they've worked together a bunch of times going all the way back to swingers yes that's what i always think them in oh i mean swingers really was what saved and then launched vince vaughn's career he had been kind of a floundering actor until then but i had no idea that uh, that peter billingsley was part of that crew i i totally missed him as the ticket agent i had to go back when i saw that he was in the credits to to catch him here so i thought that was a little fun fun fact also an adorable elf reunion because we had Mary Steenburgen, we had John Favreau and Peter Billingsley, all who were an elf, even though they were all in different parts of this movie. That was funny. Yeah, a little reunion. I mean, you, know, yeah. Chris, you know, people, you know, like Christian Chenoweth, they, there are certain people I think just like doing Christmas movies. They get drawn in. They, they get, get drawn in. They get the, 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 it's, it's the reason for the season, making money. So this film began production in December of 2007 as the Writer Guild, Writers Guild of America strike happened which lasted from 2007 into 2008 which meant that the script which had been completed could have no authorized changes to it which is probably also lent why there was a lot of improvising scenes in it actually if you go on youtube there's like a two-minute video of a picket line from the strike which is actually picketing outside this movie Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, yeah and they had a great line what was their chant i, I watched this a couple weeks ago the chant was quiet on the set quiet on the set which i thought was pretty clever for writers <laughs> on strike saying quiet on the set right because that they're the words so, yeah, yeah. So, quiet on the set yeah they were they were picketing actually outside the four christmases like uh like lot where they were filming oh so, goodness yeah. craziness how about this john favreau again played monica's millionaire boyfriend pete and friends but they broke up because he wanted to become an ultimate cage fighter and hilariously in this movie he got to play a cage fighter yeah, and a very sexual cage fighter, too. <laughs> sexual I mean, cage fighter. He's, he's, Everyone he, was sexual in this movie. He's just not going to break your arm. He's going to teabag you afterwards, and that's oh, not great. So I don't know if that's sexual. <laughs> <laughs> that's abuse on some level mike sexual violence maybe um so i mentioned that adam shankman was actually originally tapped to direct this movie he did not as we mentioned seth gordon uh this is actually his directorial debut of a studio film he got this movie because vince vaughn insisted on it vince vaughn watched uh, seth gordon's 2007 documentary the king of kong a fistful of quarters which was a documentary about a guy trying to become the highest scoring player ever in Donkey Kong, the arcade classic. And Vince Vaughn was so taken by this documentary. He was like, this is the guy we need to direct Four Christmases. Hilarious. These kinds of fast facts always kind of make me sad, Mike, to be honest with you. All right. So according to reports, Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn hated each other during filming. No one really knows why. But like during production, a number of stories leaked to the press about tension on the set. The Daily News quoted, quote, spies who gossiped about how the star's personalities clashed. Now, that part I kind of could believe that like Vince would just be kind of more fly by the seat of his pants and that Reese is like super type A. So we kind of get the clashing of personalities, but I'm really sad that they like would have taken that to the point of like not 
being able to like, like each other. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's plenty of type A people in the world who get along with people who are not type A. So I'm super sad that they didn't get along. I hate fast facts like that. Because of these reports that got leaked, Vince Vaughn ended up doing very little press for this movie because he didn't want to talk about that aspect of it. But in this one interview that is there, and you can find it on YouTube, uh, the person must have asked him off screen about working with Reese Witherspoon. He is as stone-faced serious as I've ever seen Vince Vaughn ever. Just talking about how Reese is a professional. She always comes ready to do the work. And, you know, maybe she's she's doesn't typically do comedy like this, but she was very professional and very game to be. It it was like it was like he had a proof of life newspaper uh, like against his chest and an unseen gun to his head, trying to think of things that didn't sound nasty about Reese Witherspoon. But, yeah, this idea that they just approach movies so differently and filming it. But don't you know people like this? who are who will come up to you and be like yeah you could do it just kind of just come on out here just do it 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 (laughs) and you're like no i don't want to do it no i don't want to do it no just do it you just want to hit them in the face after a while so you're saying that's how vince is he's like just do it just do it the the vibe because i read a couple different reports the vibe was very much like that he was like we don't need a script we'll just go just 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 like jazz just jazz just improvise it and she's like (laughs) no there's a script and there are words and we want to follow them and i don't want to do jazz that that seemed very much the vibe and you know i I'm sure there's a middle in there, but you need a director, though, who has done something probably more than a Donkey Kong documentary, probably to wrangle those personalities. You know, I imagine it was one of those things where it snowballed more because he didn't stand up to his actors and, and get them both in line. To, oh, to for sure. Better. I mean, so. if it gets so bad that Witherspoon refuses to do a, ste- a steamy sex scene with, with Vaughn, when it gets to the point where you have your actors telling you which scenes they're going to do, <laughs> the reins have been dropped by, by the director. Uh, sticking with uh, Seth Gordon and that documentary, uh, when we get to the Cougar Den, we see one other guy in the in the room. That's Jim, uh, who plays uh, Courtney's husband. Uh, that's Kristen Chenoweth's character. That guy is Steve Weeb. He is the subject of Steve Weeb. He is the subject of the do- <laughs> documentary King of Kong: The Fistful of Quarters. It was actually Steve or Jim in the movie who was trying to get the all time high score on Donkey Kong. Yeah. And the- Apparently, this must be the greatest documentary ever. I mean, I'm a big video game fan, so maybe I need to go watch it. But yeah, I mean, not only the director, the actual subject of that doc got his way into this movie. You know, one fast fact I want to point out with the casting is that, honestly, this is a very stacked cast. We didn't really say that at the very beginning, but all of the parents are Oscar winners. And, you know, there's something to be said when you get some quality actors in a movie like this. I I agree with you that it really pushes and pulls on your heart about Christmas, and it really kind of it doesn't let you shove like sweep everything under the rug the way you want to and it kind of it kind of pulls back the rug and you're kind of like awkward awkward (laughs) but i think that it's it's pretty realistic but i give him a lot of credit on the casting I think the casting is fantastic. I think it was probably just a little bit, a little bit wasted. I think this movie probably could have been 15 minutes longer and had a little bit more character development. But when you're trying to do jazz all the gosh darn time, uh, that makes it harder to do. And when you're, when you're cast no longer want to work together, probably makes it hard to continue shooting the movie to probably wrap it up correctly. So, uh, you know, sometimes the behind the scenes, ends up affecting what you see in front of the screens in a, in a real tangible way. Uh, and I think that's a, maybe a little bit what's going on in this movie. All right, Mike, are you ready for some Jingle Ball ratings? But before we do, would you please play me a little clip for next week's movie? I sure can. Uh, guys, not to toot our own horns, but we have three weeks left in the 52 Weeks of Christmas. And they're <laughs> all... And they're all bangers. They're all I, great movies. I tooted my own horn. I am did tooting it. Did you hear it. that? I did. I, I tooted it. I'm going to air horn my own horn. Me, 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 me. That's me air horning my own horn. <laughs> yeah. like Yours is much different than mine. Mine's like... Burr, burr, burr. It's, like a, it's like a little toy They're trumpet. all welcome in the band of jazz. <laughs> right, exactly. This podcast is like jazz. So. Oh, it is not. <laughs> I'm doing lots of hand movement. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm doing jazz fingers and stuff. Ha-cha-cha. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. 
Well, I believe it's got to be the Grinch. Yeah. It's like like the clip's like, the Grinch who stole Christmas. Now, what movie is it? Ah, but this is the original we're going to be covering. We're going to be doing the 1966 Boris Karloff narrated the TV classic 25-minute jam, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, exclamation point, the Dr. Seuss classic. I look forward to this one because, you know, and going back to all of our our Frosties and our Rudolphs and everything, I'm curious to see if this one's going to hold up for me or am I going to see things this time that I didn't see as a kid? So I'm super curious. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad we're doing it, too, because this was always one that I liked a lot. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag going back to some of these classics. I mean, if before doing this podcast, I would have told you across the board, Charlie Brown Christmas, obviously, uh, is a favorite. But Frosty, Rudolph, Santa Claus is coming to town. I would have said all of them. All of them are staples that I love to death. But rewatching, you know, Santa Claus Coming to Town, I did not like. Rudolph Coming to Town is a sadistic snuff film. Like, I, I, I mean, people I, I, were just talking about that, and I wanted to be like, I, I it was one of those things that I, I don't want to burst people's bubbles, but I want to be like, have you actually watched that recently? Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you might be remembering something that's not there. Yeah, I think I, what is it, the Mandela effect? I think that's what we're. Mm-hmm. All suffering a little bit about that. So, you know, I, I'm curious. I hope this one, because, you know, especially we also with this one in particular, we have the comparison to the full length live action version with Jim Carrey, which we covered earlier on in the podcast. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch this kind of source material. Uh, well, first, the source material, I guess, is the book, but this first stab at this Dr. Seuss story to see how it holds up or and or influenced what came after it. All right. We're ready for some Jingle Bell Ray. Oh, yes, we are. I'm currently, guys, I'm currently having a problem with my spreadsheet. It's not opening for me. So I'm having like a like a peasant having to write notes about ratings. Spreadsheet's not opening. The vault is like totally locked. I I I think someone put some bubble gum in the little like where we put the key in. I got to go get some WD-40 to get this vault door open. I got to ask an administrator how to get my vault door open. (laughs) I'm the administrator. While you're still thinking about your Jingle Bell rating, I'm going to go first because I, I felt pretty sure about this movie. I'm giving it a six Jingle Bells, which is probably a little bit lower than it deserves because I think it's undeniably a Christmas movie. Uh, it definitely is hitting on Christmas themes, but I'm going to kind of repeat a little bit what I said earlier now that we're at the Jingle Bell portion. This movie gave me no joy. And again, not every Christmas movie has to give you joy. There are plenty that are sad, but this movie is telling me I was supposed to be happy at the end. It's, it's force feeding me like, like a duck being served up to become pate, you know, fat me up for this thing that I just don't buy. I'm not buying what they're selling. I want these two not to be together at the end. That feels believable to me. Brad should, Brad should go get some STDs by himself down in the Caribbean because that's his life. And, and Kate should go explore and find a guy that's going to treat her like a partner and a human and maybe wants to have babies with her. That's not Brad. That's not Brad at all. He will not be there when that baby hits two that they have at the end of the movie. Can I ask you a quick question? A little a little side tangent. I assume that child was an accident. Yes? She wanted kids. I mean, that's her journey. But I assume that that child was an accident. Like, yeah, she wanted to have kids, but it was like he said something like where he was like, let's just like take it little by little, blah, blah, blah. And like the door closes. And then it was like nine months later. Right. Well, so, yeah, no, it was not, the, well, it was a whole a year. planned, agreed right. upon baby, right? Well, it's like, so presumably conception happens about three months after the end of this movie sometime. That's around. not the question. The question is, is it like, we're going to start making a baby or is it like, oh shit, you're pregnant? Well, you don't. I mean, but this is, this is not a good couple. So who knows? Maybe she's telling him she's taking birth control and she's not. I'm asking for your x-ray vision. Do you, do you feel like that, that that child was an accident or do you feel like family has to have lies and she like lied about how this happened? We don't know. I mean, they didn't tell us in the story, but I'm just asking. No, I I think it was very intentional, at least for her to have a kid. Uh, Whether he's aware of that or not, I I think is is a different story. Since they don't talk, we don't know. (laughs) Yeah, since they have no communication and they only lie to each other about who they actually are. I don't know. I don't know that we're ever going to know. All right. Back to your Jingle Ball rating. Uh, yeah, so this movie is a Christmas movie. I think it just it drops the ball at the end of it. 
uh, and what could have been a really interesting, honest exploration of how relationships change, grow, and grow apart sometimes, even at Christmas time, even with the madness of Christmas around us, uh, I think is just unearned cheese. And you know what? This cheese tastes bad. So, Oof. All right. I'm going to give this one a 6.25. Here's the deal. I think that we all go back to the script and the lack of script because there, the idea was here. You had the four different families. You had really great parents who all delivered small messages during their little family vignettes. But because it wasn't fully developed, because these characters weren't fully developed... And our journey was with Brad and Kate, even though each family we visited was was abundant with lessons. I don't feel like we could pick it up because our little train was so weak that we were traveling on with the two of them. So it's it's a bummer because it was a clever idea. It's definitely a good Christmas lesson for these all these different ones. So much to be learned at the end about, you know, togetherness and blended families and all these things. But lost in translation, basically, you know, didn't have a good enough script where we were, we were, you were understanding how we got from point A to point B. And I think because of that, it suffered, which stinks because all of these actors could have delivered it had that story been tightened up. I used to play a lot of Microsoft Simulator. Uh, um, simulator? What did you play? Simulator, uh, uh, Flight Simulator. Um, yeah. You know, like back I on, Simulator. Back on Windows 95. Southern. I was great at taking off. I was great at flying to the destination. I crashed that damn plane every time I tried to take it in for a landing. And that's what this movie feels like to me. Great premise, takes off well, introduces four dynamic different families, all with all showing a little bit different angle on how families behave and how we behave within our families and how we behave to our partners within our families. And then just took it right into a mountainside. And it just just crashed that plane in a fiery ball of of bad cheese <laughs> at the end. So see, I'm going with we were like driving a clunky car that like we, we there were many gifts at each stop, but gifts are falling out the back of the car the whole time because we just don't have like a good steady little you know car that we're going to get from point a to point b and like this couple just isn't it and so we just don't have the structure with them to be able to pick up on all these lessons the whole way i think as the as the audience i can pick up lessons i can look at each family and say okay it's not about how much money you spend okay it 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 is about owning your mistakes if you're over here okay religion can play a role for for different aspects of your holiday you could still be sexual super sexual and And religious and religious yes yeah i mean that all those things play i mean there's lots to learn from each family maybe love comes in different forms maybe that's what we get from from kate's mom it doesn't maybe look as traditional there's lots of lessons you as an audience member can learn it's just really hard to buy that brad and kate learned anything as they went along because they were just eye rolling their own family so hard and their own couple wasn't strong enough like there wasn't a good enough structure to hold on to these lessons here well here's the thing i think i i disagree with you uh, at the very end there i think they both learned a lot over the course of this day i think both of them were learning a lot about who they were and and who their partner was and the fact that they probably weren't an actual good fit anymore but then they just said, we are at 78 minutes, 88 minutes. We have to end this movie. So, yeah, they're going along. They're going along. They're maybe dropping presents. They're, they're teaching us all valuable lessons. They're learning about the fact that they probably shouldn't be in a relationship anymore because they were, they're learning who they really are and maybe being honest for the first times and being forced to be honest with each other for the first times. And then Brad decides to yell at her, taking his eyes off the road, and drives them off a cliff. And the movie just ends so horribly. If this movie ends... You're saying that. People are going to think that that's really what happened. <laughs> well, he, he does... They're like, wait a minute, he drove off a cliff. <laughs> Metaphorically. We'll just leave that for you guys. Maybe they did. Metaphorically, they do. Because <laughs> because it's such a disingenuous ending... It invalidates everything that they learned about each other. She learned that she wants to explore having kids with an adult who wants to have the same things that she wants. He learns, I've never, I've not changed. I still want to just go on, uh, go to Fiji and have fun and have no responsibilities because I hate my upbringing and I want to run away from it. And I'm better than them, by the way. And that's, that's who they are. And you know what? That's fine for both of them. That's their journeys. But 
when you bring them back together again in that schmaltzy, oh, oh, at the end, what uh, is it's, that? Um, his being like, oh, I've completely changed my mind, except for this is just a conversation, though. Like, no, you're a piece of garbage and you haven't changed your mind at all. You know what? You're not a piece of garbage. You are who you are, Brad, and you're on your journey. She is on her journey. She is who she is. That's where that's how the movie should end. It's not, it makes no sense and it invalidates all of the work that this movie does. I'm telling you, this is like two and a half jingle bells more. I if love they when end Mike the, said energy 11, you guys. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> I, I'm bumping this movie up probably to like an eight and a half if they end this movie correctly. They fire burned the, they invalidated everything that was great about this movie by that horrible, dumb ending. <laughs> well, there you go. This is Caroline. <sighs> And this is Mike. <laughs> what happened? You're spent now? You used all your 11 energy yelling I, at the I, end? I just want to yell mistletoe <laughs> as our bailout work, as our safe <laughs> word to bail out. Well, lucky you. Do you want to know what your safe word is? Oh, what's my safe word? This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. If you wouldn't mind heading to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, we'd really appreciate it so that we don't have to come to your house and uh, um, MMA fight you. You know, Don't make us pin you to the table and force feed you and give you wedgies because we'll do it. We just won't be happy about it. Michael definitely do it. Thanks for listening. Oh, before we go, hey guys, by the time this Ooh, what? By, by the time this comes out, head over to our Instagram and Twitter accounts where we have a calendar for the 25 days of Christmas watching. Carol and I put our little noggins together and we came up with movies that you should watch every day of December to get you in that Christmas spirit. So it was a, dist- a distillation of the 52 movies that we're watching <laughs> down to 25. Actually, it's 27 because I, I, I cheated on one day um, and I put three movies into one. Yeah, so go ahead over to our Twitter or Instagram accounts where it's at Pod Clubhouse and uh, look on our pinned our pinned messages and you can find our little 25 days of, cal- uh, 25 days of Christmas watching calendar. Thanks you guys for listening. Bye. Mistletoe! Mistletoe! Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.